everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Hey Alexa. Today I have Leanne Stickle, who is a race director of Try to Be MS. She's also an MS warrior, life coach, and a motivational speaker. Today we're going to talk all about her journey um, with MS and how she became where she is today. Hi, Leanne. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I love talking to people in general, but I also love talking to like people especially with an invisible illness, because like I relate on so many levels as I have central pain syndrome. Um, and I just love like hearing people's stories and how they have, are overcoming their adversities. Yeah, it's so important, right? Because how many people are we walking past that have some giant struggles and maybe feel super alone? So I love the work that you're doing and getting the message out there so that the random person can hear this and think, oh my goodness, I'm the same, right? Yes. Or, I can do this too. I can face this challenge and I'm not alone. Exactly. Or that they have someone to have their back or, or learn to advocate for themselves. Um, I think that's so important. And learn what other resources are, are out there, right? Because exactly. When, when I was newly diagnosed, right, you are dumped into a brand new world that you know nothing about. And I always jokingly say, there are a lot of great reasons that I did not go into medicine. one of which was that I had no interest. And then when you're diagnosed with something, you all of a sudden have to kind of be a subject matter expert. If you want to really advocate for yourself and ask good questions and make smart choices, that's hard. That's very overwhelming and can be very, very and like find the right doctors because sometimes there's doctors that don't have your best interest or they don't think what you have is real or whatever it may be. So I think that's important too. And I know they use the term doctor shopping. People make it like this bad thing, but what's so bad about it? You you should be shopping to find the right team. You really, really have to be in your own corner. Yeah. So I hate when people do that. Like, like when they'll like make it like such a bad thing, like, oh, they're just doctor shopping. It's like, well, yes, I am. You're right. Because I didn't like my past doctor and not because they're not telling me what I want to hear. They're, they're not giving me the right information and they're not helping me. Yeah. And chronic illness is chronic, right? I mean, it's yours. It's whatever you have to keep it. This is, that's the really, really dark side and truth to chronic illness. And that is very, very overwhelming. And especially when you're diagnosed at a young age, I was 29 and I had four little kids you know, oh, so you were diagnosed after having kids. Yes. Oh, that's awful. I mean, it's awful at any time, but yeah, it was, oh. it was Alexa. And I like, thank you for seeing that, right. That, that made the morning period, maybe even longer that I went into after I was diagnosed. So I'm 29. I have four little kids. I am a drink your water, eat your fruits and veggies, you know, didn't see it. Yeah. Coming. I was born positive. I believe I'm genetically optimistic. It's hard to like, besides being diagnosed, it's what you were going through before, before you even knew. Totally. You know, the early symptoms I chose to ignore because I thought that I could explain them away. I always say that WebMD is a dangerous place. Oh, because I think, oh yeah, I know everything because I have access to the internet. No. <laughs> and we don't. And really it was a conservative family doctor that saw the red flags. And I always high five him when I see him because I have him to thank for an early diagnosis, really. 
and I didn't search forever. I thought I had a pinched nerve and that I needed to be straightened out at a chiropractor and that that would solve the numbness and tingling that I was experiencing that yeah. we now know was a result of MS. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And like, so one thing like with my central pain, it's, I call it like it mimics MS. Like I have a lot of the same symptoms, but I won't, mine doesn't progressively get worse. Like MS will, and I don't have lesions in my brain, but I do have the damage and all that. And I get the tingling literally every, like almost every symptom. Yeah. And oh. when you have four little kids and you're busy and you're distracted and like the badge of motherhood is to be tired. So fatigue was not a red flag, right? Like I had a great explanation for that. And, <laughs> you know, so part of my mission now is to raise awareness and to help people notice those things yeah. that be a little bit off and they just choose to ignore or explain away because like the earlier the diagnosis, the earlier the treatment, the earlier everything. And I right. really give a ton of credit to that early diagnosis to how I am doing today. Yeah. I mean, some people could go years without being diagnosed. So, so many people go years, right? Because I was 29. Oftentimes people are not diagnosed till their late thirties, early forties, yeah. right? Where the symptoms have been, have gotten so loud and so frustrating to them that now they're like, okay, I'm sick of this. But if they're honest, they can look back a decade and see early, early signs of that showing up. So did you, like when you were diagnosed, how was your support system during all this? So I'm lucky. I am still married to the same man after 22 and a half years. And I had four little kids that were fabulous and parents that were lovely, right? And Good. I, let me tell you something, you know, you feel for a long time, I felt like my story didn't have a lot of value because I, I did have a good support system and I had health insurance and I was able to keep going. And in 2017, I had a relapse and I developed optic neuritis, which is double vision. Uh-huh. And that was a sign of the drug failing that I was on for the last seven and a half years. And I had to make a hard decision. And I chose to go with a very aggressive treatment because the new lesion that was causing the optic neuritis was near my brainstem. And brainstem, I call like the high rent district. Yeah. Your system, nervous system is like the New York City apartment. <laughs> and right, like it's paralysis, vision loss, things that are going to yeah. change your lifestyle. Right. Right. And so I chose to be really aggressive with my drug choice. And I'm very glad I was. And I'm doing well. It hasn't been a perfectly smooth road. And the treatment was hard. And I actually developed a secondary autoimmune issue um, as a side yeah. effect of that treatment. So that part's frustrating, but I'm still, I still feel like I'm winning, right? Like yeah. when you make those decisions, you're looking at risk versus reward. Right. Like, I know, right? Everybody looks at every drug and the the side effects are like 10 volumes long. And you're like, oh my goodness, you know, <laughs> this is frightening. But what I knew was I had a lesion near my brainstem and I had to base the decision off of information that I knew for sure. All the possible side effects that are listed on a drug, we don't know. We don't know if that's going to happen to us, right? Right. So 
we can't make decisions on information that we don't actually know. So right. I really was at peace making that decision. And even though I have had a, you know, a couple side effects that I'm not a huge fan of, I still feel like I made the right choice. Isn't that something? Yeah, no, it's true because sometimes you have those side effects, but if it's going to, if the benefit outweighs, then it's worth it. Totally. When I've been on medications where I've had side effects that were worse than my pain and it wasn't helping. So I got off of them, but those aren't worth it. But the ones that actually are helping and they're more beneficial then you figure it out. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, you know, so I want to circle back to your question about my support system. Amazing. Right. Except that they did not have a chronic illness. They didn't really understand. Right. And they, and I'm glad that they don't understand. I don't want my whole circle to be, you know, I don't want my family to all have a diagnosis. Of course. <laughs> right. And so I really searched out for support from people that understood. And I went to a support group and it was very, very depressing because the group of people there, I love them and I understand where they are now. But at that point in my journey, at the very beginning, I could not see myself there. I didn't want to see myself there. Those people were identified by their disease. It was much more advanced. And I always say that I left and spent 400 bucks at Target. And my husband always says, do you think like if you would have skipped the support group, like 200 bucks would have done it? Like I just needed something to make myself feel better. You know? Yeah, because yeah. it can be hard because people, even though you're looking for support at the same time, though, that's sometimes all people talk about. And that's too much, too. It's too much. Right? That's why just, you need that balance. Exactly. And that, that really has kind of led me to where what I'm doing now, because I am supporting patients and other people with chronic illness in a way and coming from a place of understanding, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes we're not talking about chronic illness. We're talking about other goals that they have other parts of their life that are awesome because this is not our whole story. And, you know, I started a Facebook group called not defined by chronic illness because yes, it is part of who I am. And I've learned a lot. I wouldn't go back and ask for this. No way. (laughs) You know, yeah, no, But, you know, it doesn't define me. And even though it's part of the journey and I just want to have conversations about other things too. It's fine to talk about chronic illness and I'm happy to explain, encourage, help people get it. But you need other things too. Yeah, but I'm excited about other things, you know, travel and fitness and my family and, you know, writing a book or whatever goals people have, you know. Exactly. No, I agree. And like when you make friends with someone, you know, let's say you met them in a running group, you're not going to only talk about running because that wouldn't be a good friendship. That wouldn't be a good, like, that'd be boring. Like you can only talk about it so much. Same thing with chronic illness. Like you can only talk about it. It's good like to have, because like, if you're going to do diagnosis or something or people have questions, you can ask each other. But other than that, there's really no reason just to talk about it well and the, the except reason, to raise awareness but totally and, and I love working with women that have chronic illness because they say things and they'll say you know blah 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 I know this sounds crazy 
And I'll say, no, that doesn't sound crazy. <laughs> you know, like I totally understand that. And they learn to let go of that statement. This sounds crazy because they know it does to me. Right. And so it, it's nice to be on that same level. Yeah. No, I agree that. Yeah, that's true. Because be like, oh, this sounds crazy. My, my arms tingling. No, that's not crazy. It just is. <laughs> yeah. This is crazy. I have to take a nap every day. Totally. Me too. You know, like, that's crazy. and and I love that they can let go of that pressure to be this picture of what they think they should be, or maybe their neighbor is, or right. They don't even right. know that we are so inundated with ideals that that can become such a burden and be so taxing on us and uh, just be a downer. Right. Yeah. I feel um, like some, when I first, I was first had everything when I was 21, it was right after I graduated college because I was in a bad car accident. So that's what caused all mine. And I remember for a long time, I was like, and I sometimes will still do this, but I try and I get out of it a lot faster. Like I had this picture of what I was supposed to be doing. And like, you see your friends doing it or whether they're living on their own or they're working a full-time job. And it's like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm not. And it can be really hard. So hard, right? Then you feel like a failure, but you're not. No. Your journey is just different. Your journey is different. And the hiccup and the curveball and the lemons that you've been handed are rough, right? And it is is just, you know, we have to honor the hard. And even though I know that my gift is positivity, I mourned. I was sad for several months after my diagnosis. I mean, I would do the things, take care of people, make the food, whatever all day. And at night I would lay in bed and tears would just roll down my face. And, you know, I had support and I had help and I had, I was getting answers. Right. But it was just, it wasn't the story that I wanted for myself. Yeah. Wasn't what I had dreamed of or pictured. Now my future looked different. And I was so sad. So it's, I always encourage people like pause, like honor the hard. It is hard. And what you're overcoming is a big deal. Yeah. No, I agree. So to kind of switch gears for a minute, how did you, um, when did you come up with the, the being the race? How did that all come? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is one of my favorite parts. And I love, I love the term, like how you did it, like try to beat, and it's like a triathlon, but it's like, and it says try to beat MS. I love that. (laughs) I thank you for recognizing the creativity. Right. Um, So in the first few years, of course, I think that it's good to take the crummy part of your story and do something good. So I decided to lean into some fundraising efforts and I had family and friends that wanted to show up for me, which is so wonderful, right? And what can they do? There wasn't really anything here at home that I needed at that point. And so they want to contribute and fundraise. And so we did like walk MS, bike MS, events that are specific yeah. to like the MS Society. Well, you have to raise a minimum amount. And after a few years, you kind of ask all the same people and they've all yeah. given and et cetera, et cetera. So one year we have a year that we really need to raise more funds. And I didn't want to post it on Facebook and be annoying or whatever, you know, yeah. each their own. <laughs> if, you love, if you fundraise well on Facebook, knock yourself out. Um, no, not me. <laughs> but, right. 
And so we had four kids. They had participated in an event similar to what I created in Michigan with some friends. And I thought, oh my goodness, we don't have anything like this in our area. This was so amazing. And so we explored it. It definitely was a vacancy in the like race offerings in central Illinois, which is where we live. Yeah. And so this year is our eighth annual. We've been around for eight years. Wow. And we raise a lot of money for the MS community. We give some to the society, which is big picture, right? Um, education, awareness, research. Yep. And then we have a local organization that is really helping patients like building ramps, paying co-pays, helping with drug costs, et cetera. So I love both groups, you yeah. know, there's value in both. So it's a kid's triathlon, six ages, six to 15, no experience necessary. It's professionally timed. It's the whole nine yards, like great race shirt, custom die cut metal, the announcer, we have over 70 volunteers that make it perfectly safe. Like the city works with us, closes the road. Like it's oh my just gosh. magic, Alexa. Like I am so passionate. It's like my fifth kid, the triathlon is. <laughs> that is so cool. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, oh, continue. Just, sorry. Sorry, I'm, I, I definitely do not have an off button when it comes to the triathlon. But what's really amazing is that our mission has always been to raise money for patients. Like that was our primary reason for starting the triathlon, but a close second was to inspire kids to love fitness. And I am an academic, like totally a nerd and not an athlete. But when I was diagnosed, all of a sudden the thought of mobility being taken away motivated me to show up on the treadmill and to yeah. ride a bike and to move my body. And so fitness and events have become really near and dear to me and have been very motivating and I love them. And I wanted to give this gift to our youth so that fitness can be part of their story, not a struggle, right? Because you and I both know everybody goes to the doctor and they're prescribed fitness, You work out, you should go to the gym and people view that as a prescription and no one wants a prescription, right? Like, right. No one wants to be told they have to do something or they should do something like Exactly. So can we start at a young age and help kids to love fitness, to make it part of what they do? It's just who they are. Right. And so that is a really close, that's close second place mission is to inspire kids to love fitness. And our sponsors really rally around us because we're really clear on what we're accomplishing. That's so cool. And how did, so how did you like get started with it besides the idea? So first of all, I want everybody listening to know that they can reach out to me and I am happy to mentor race directors. I love this this space so much. And the race director of the event in Michigan, she was raising money for a very rare disease that her son had. I reached out to her and she mentored me a little. We had a couple phone calls, a handful of emails. It wasn't like a crazy amount of time, but she just ran through the event all the to-do list, everything to think about. And then I, the ball was in my court, of course, to do the research here locally, but she really helped me wrap my brain around it because going to an event and then directing one, completely different. Of course. (laughs) It's like, that was a big learning curve. And I am not going to lie. The first year was extremely bumpy because of all the learning, right? How do you get sponsors? How do you decide on levels? How do you find shirts? How do you get the logos on there? How do you make those decisions, right? How do you Mm -hmm. get a timer? How do we market this? How do we get the word out? 
you know, how do we make this yeah. safe? How do you buy event insurance? How do you get donations? And do we give food or do we not? You know, I mean, crazy. Yeah. Like build a website. Okay. I've never done, you know what I mean? <laughs> like <laughs> absolutely nuts. But I also say that like, it's totally possible and people can do this. And really the dream in a perfect world, I would make connections and try to beat MS would be in every state, right? That would be amazing because I just feel like the missions are both so important. Yeah. You know, know the burden of chronic costs, right? Chronic illness comes with chronic costs. And so the need for fundraising is there. And then the, the youth, right? I'm like yeah. such a fan of kids. My kids are all teenagers now, but I still have two that are doing the triathlon and the other two volunteer. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. So, and I just, it's, it's, I love because it's so niched. Yeah. Just that's how you can get it out there more instead of just, yeah. Yeah. And and one of my favorite parts is that it's a no experience necessary. I mean, a kid can wake up as long as they can ride a two wheel bike, they can show up at our event and do it. You can actually wear a life jacket in the pool if you're not a strong swimmer. So it's just so beautiful. And I mean, for these little kids, it's just amazing to see them accomplish this. And what's really special, you know, the very first year getting 70 volunteers. Oh, and goodness, that was a big job. <laughs> like, yeah, right? well, because you got 70 your first year. I had, yes, because we, we've always had about 170 kids participate and I need one volunteer per two kids. Oh, gotcha. That's kind of yeah. my, like rough math. And I begged, pleaded, borrowed, stole every grown up <laughs> this side of the Mississippi, I felt like to get them to be a volunteer. There. <laughs> and what's so cool is that most of them have all come back every single year because they had so much fun. It was so special to see the kids that they just keep coming back. And, and the volunteer job has never been as hard as it was the first year, right? It's got right. a lot easier. Because no, the problem is with the first year, it's like, they're looking up to you, but you're still trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. Yeah. The learning curve and something new and people are like unsure, like, what are you just crazy? You know, but now we're a well-established event. People love us and it's just really special. So do you still have 170 kids or do you you keep getting more? We stay around 170. What's interesting is that we have kids that age out, right? Because we are such a six to 15. Yeah. you know, you have your 14, 15 year olds one year and then they age out. And so then we have to find our new kids and, you know, the COVID years definitely were a big bump in our growth. Um, but I'm just so happy with our size and we are the park. It's a great size. It's a great size because it's, you know, every kid brings like three people with them, parents, grandparents. So the park is like really full, tons of great energy. And, you know, we have to be out of there before the public pool opens. So we have like this window of time. So we have a right. cap at 225 kids. We know mathematically we could have 225 kids. We haven't met that cap yeah. yet, but you know, it's all good. So have you had any kids that like have literally started at six or was it four, six or four? Six. 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 Yeah. Cause four is a little too little, but have you had any kids that literally have done it? from six to an hour, like what, 14, because it's been eight years. 
Well, yeah, my kids for sure. And like a bunch of our friends and family that come every year. Um, That's so cool. Like, and then it must be sad too. Like when they age out, like, especially if they've done it from the beginning, that's something they obviously love. Totally. And you know, my son is like, this is my last year. Like I have to win, you know, cause we have a podium and trophies and, you know, just all, the, all the frosting. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I'm so glad we got to talk and you got to come on and share your story um, before I let you go. And I'm going to play a group game with you. And it's just five question rapid fire. I love it. Okay. First one is drink of choice. Mm, Diet Pepsi. I'm a Diet Coke girl, but I actually don't mind Diet Pepsi. I'm actually a head bold. So I know (laughs) some people will literally like do Coke or only do Coke and then if it's Pepsi, they'll just have something else. I don't have both. I don't know why. I'm like you, Alexa. I, I'm I'm easy to please. Me too. Um, favorite movie or TV show or both? Oh my goodness, that's so hard. That is so hard. Favorite movie? Mm, I might have to go like an old Western, like Tombstone. Okay. Pretty cool. Um, then the next question is, advice to your younger self? Hmm. Advice to my younger self is the goal is not perfection. We are all a work in progress and the people that recognize that they are a work in progress make more progress. I love that. Um, Five words to describe yourself. Hmm. Optimistic, extroverted, Mm, healthy appetite <laughs> that's what I'm counting that as one word it's hyphenated don't worry it's hyphenated um oh madly in love with my kids that's one Alexa stop counting my words I got you and um cheerleader I like that I, uh, I could never do the splits like I'm not actually a cheerleader Remember no. the whole not oh. a part? <laughs> but I, Same here. Oh. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm someone's biggest cheerleader from the fa- or just doing this <laughs> for sure. And the last is what success mean to you? Success is my fellow chronic illness friends having light bulb moments when I share my journey that they can take and apply that day. Like Alexa, that. that is my mission. Like I want positivity and what I teach to be these little tools mm-hmm. that you can go in your car today and practice. Right. And so what I teach and everything is just so usable. I'm not just motivating you. Right. I want, I want this to become who you are and you forget who you learned it from. Right? right. But, and then you just go on to share it and teach it and use it in your parenting and encourage other people. I have very long answers. I'm sorry. I like it. No, I like that. Um, and last, well, that was the questions, but where can we find you? Where can, if people want to learn about the race, whatever you. Yep. So I spend the most time on Instagram and there I am. I am Leanne Stickle. The triathlon is TRI, the number two beatms.com. That's the easy place to find me. And the private Facebook group, 
I really am trying to pour into that space because it is more community-esque. Instagram, it's harder to build community on Instagram. Even though I gravitate that direction, it's like a fun magazine, you know? Like I can get a recipe and decorating inspiration and a cool story. But my Facebook group, Not Defined by Chronic Illness, is not just for people with chronic illness. I always encourage people like, you all know someone that's affected by chronic illness. And so this can be a space where conversation can be had and you can learn more about what their experience is and how you can show up for them. Because the reason awareness is a big deal is because knowledge is power. And when we know better, we can do better. Exactly. Anyways, not defined by chronic illness. That's a Facebook group. So any of those places, but I'm easy to get a hold of. (laughs) All right. Well, you heard it here and I will put that in the description below. Um, This is another episode of Hey Alexa, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.